Years ago, uh, a group of us used to gather at my parents' house and we would watch the hit show, Survivor. Maybe you've seen it. It's only been on for, I don't know, 20 plus years or something now. Uh, I like the show a lot because I love the strategy and the conniving and what people would do to make sure that they just survived one more day on the island. And um, what made the show the best, absolutely the best, was when terrible people that you didn't like would get voted off the show. Because then there would be times I would stand up and be pointing at the TV going, that's right, you can go home, you loser. Um, or other things that were very encouraging. I have found that Survivor always brought out the absolute best uh, in my character. For some reason, I was just like, ah, I would get so intense with the show. But the worst thing that would ever happen is... When one of your friends who had one of those cable packages where they could watch a show that's normally on, say, at 9 p.m., they would watch it at 5 or 7 p.m., and then they would post their commentary and thoughts on what happened in tonight's episode on social media. Now... It was one of those things that brought the term spoiler alert into our common vernacular. Now, it didn't just happen with Survivor, but it would happen with movies and other TV shows and sporting events where you'd just be trying to know nothing about it. And inevitably, it seemed somebody would spill the beans and you'd find out an outcome that you didn't want to know. Now, I happen to know that watching today, there are some of you that are literally a walking spoiler alert, and you know exactly if that's you. You know it. So we're currently in a series in the book of Nehemiah entitled Rebuild, and today I'm going to give you a spoiler alert that gives away the entire end of the book. Now, I hope you've been reading through uh, this particular book in the Old Testament, so it's, it shouldn't really come as a major spoiler if you've been reading it. But if you haven't had time to get to it yet... To bring you up to speed, Jerusalem has been absolutely decimated and its people decimated along with it. Israel is at basically an all-time low point. Now here's a spoiler alert. Are you ready? Are you ready for a massive spoiler alert? Nehemiah and his team overcome massive obstacles and opposition and are part of a powerful move of God that sees a city and a people completely transformed. It's an incredible story to read through Nehemiah's 
memoirs in this book. So listen, if that's the ending and I just spoiled it for you, should we just pray and close this message now? Or what are we actually going to dig into this week? Now, whenever you see a move of God in modern times or all through the Bible, it can seem like it happens suddenly. But before that suddenly happens, there's this build-up, there's a process, there's things that happen as precursors to that move of God. There's a foundation that's laid before that suddenly happens. And this morning I want to take a look at a few of the things, just from the first couple of chapters of Nehemiah, that would be these precursors to a move of God. Now just to be clear, what I'm not giving you here is uh, three steps to achieving a move of God in your own life. Or some secret method for twisting God's arm to our own will. But what I'm hoping to do is, is by looking a little closer at Nehemiah's story, hopefully draw out a few things that apply to your life and to my life that Hey, if you want to be part of a move of God, here's some of the things that are going to help. So we're going to go back to the beginning. Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 4. It says, In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So the first thing that I want you to notice and uh, that I'd like to point out today is that Nehemiah was available. He was available. Nehemiah's brother comes back from visiting Jerusalem and he gives a bad report. Things are terrible. Things are, are awful there. But I want you to notice Nehemiah's response. He didn't just give a, a patronizing answer. Wow, that must be really tragic for those people. He also wasn't only empathetic. No, I feel what you're going through. And he certainly wasn't a guy who said, if you think that's bad, let me tell you what's been happening to me lately. He didn't have a a competition of pain. But something happens in Nehemiah's life that stirs him to action. First thing is he's just moved to pray and to fast and he weeps. And it's not for a short amount of time. It's for days and days in fact. There would have been nothing convenient or comfortable 
to any of this. It interrupted the course of Nehemiah's life literally from that day forward. Something shifted on the inside of him. It echoes that portion of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Isaiah writes, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's reply, he says, Here I am. Send me. So here's the question for us this morning. What do you do when you're faced with a report like what comes into Nehemiah? You hear about a co-worker. They got got sick. There's a problem with their family. There's a, a close friend or a family member that's going through some real struggles. You hear about a tragedy and and, and what do you do in those kind of moments? If that kind of report comes to you, would you say that you're available in that moment? Can your life be interrupted and disrupted? Is your response that of an Isaiah or a Nehemiah who says, "Here, I'm here, God, send me, give me, give me something to do. I'm available." Now, when you talk like this, many people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm available, God. I'm, I'm open to God's leading in, in my life. And, and I want to go where God's wanting me to go. But a good way to think about this is actually to think about it like a hotel. Now, a hotel, their whole business model is about actually getting people to stay in their building. They want guests to stay there. But what determines whether you can stay in a, in a hotel has nothing to do with their messaging or their intention or their mission statement at all. The only factor that determines whether you can stay in the hotel, primary factor, is do they actually have room? Can they fit another person in there? So maybe a better question for us this morning is not even just if we're available, if we're willing, but is there room in my life, is there room in your life for a move of God? Or or would you say, God, I I want there to be. I want to make room for you to move in my life and through my life. We get so busy and so distracted and we can get so preoccupied with a full life, just jammed, living well past the margins on every edge. And God comes knocking and says, hey, this person's in need. And we go, oh man, I, I, God, I wish I could. I wish I had room. So listen, beyond just saying a, a very good Christian answer of yes, God, I'm available and, 
and nodding your head because it's the right thing to do and the right thing to say. Can I challenge you this, even just this week, to actually make room for God to move in your life? Are there distractions? Are there things that you can put to the side to make room for God? Nehemiah would have had, he had a job and likely a family, other responsibilities, hobbies, dreams. But when faced with this situation, he made room for God to move in him. And he made room for a move of God that transformed a city and a people. So we go on to read Nehemiah's prayer in the second half of chapter 1 starting in verse 5. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love with those who love Him and obey His commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and, and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. But please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are faithful to me, or if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please, Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. The next thing I'd like to point out is that Nehemiah is attuned. You listen to the words in this prayer. He's, he's, he comes, he's submitted, he's humble. He didn't go to God uh, with his own plans, going, God, would you put your stamp of approval on what I'd like to do? No, no, no. His heart was aligned, his mind, his thoughts to the promises of God. And Pastor Dan talked about the power of prayer partnered with the Word last week, and that's what we see here. He remembers what God's done and he recalls the promises of God. And when you align yourself and your prayers to the Word of God, there's power in that. So a few other questions for you today. What's, what's your posture when you come to God? What are your priorities? What do you spend most of your time in the house of God, in your own personal prayer time, focused on? And are you attuned to the heart and the mind of God? So what's interesting is in these seven verses, three of them are focused on 
repentance and asking forgiveness for his own family, for himself and for the people of Israel. Another three are focused on uh, remembering how good God is, remembering his promises to his people. And only one verse is actually spent with a request. Now that's pretty interesting, and I think there might be a little bit of wisdom in us, or in Nehemiah for us in how he approaches God. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1 and 2, which says, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and, and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Powerful scripture. Convicts me every time I read it. But it's a reminder from Nehemiah's example in a verse like this to just slow things down just a little bit. Shut off all the other noise, all the other distractions, all the other sound. Calm your trouble heart. Stop talking so much. Take the focus off yourself and make your priorities uh, or make God's priorities your priorities. Attune your heart, attune your mind to God. Remember who He is. This is the posture of Nehemiah's heart that attuned him to the will and the working of God. And when you look at it, you see, you see this incredible benefit, benefit to Nehemiah. It's in these times of prayer that God begins to reveal His plans to Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, Nehemiah says that he had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Bigger things were at work on the inside of Nehemiah than anyone had seen. And, and what I love is, is that he wasn't broadcasting all of the plans to everyone on earth. There was this quiet posturing in the presence of God. He was becoming attuned to God's heart. And, and these were these secrets and mysteries that God was revealing to him. We, we read that verse in, in Proverbs 25. God conceals things and it's a king's joy to discover them. It's like we see in Mary in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds come to her with huge reports of what angels had said about her son Jesus. But it says that she, she pondered these things in her heart and thought about them often. It's this beautiful simplicity that comes when we put our own stuff aside and we attune to the heart and mind of God. Last section I want to look at is Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, 
During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. (laughs) Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Then verse 4. I love this so much. The king asked, How can I help you? We then go on to read how the king gave Nehemiah far more than he could ever have asked or imagined. Like so much more. It was like Nehemiah is just dripping in the favor of God. Every turn, every door seemed to just open for him. Now keep in mind that everything that we see in this exchange with the king is is exactly what Nehemiah had prayed in chapter 1. Give me favor today. Let the king be kind. And that's what we see played out. But what I want you to notice here is how it played out. And I want you to notice that Nehemiah was already aligned for this to happen. Pastor Bill has said Nehemiah was effectively working as a bartender for the king. Now, was this his dream job? I guess no. He was also exiled in a foreign land against his will. So none of this was ideal. But look at the exchange with the king. Serving him his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking sad? Don't look, you don't look sick to me. You must be troubled. Now the king noticed that Nehemiah was looking sad and troubled. And he noticed this because Nehemiah had never appeared sad in his presence before. The king was so used to Nehemiah being up, having a cheerful demeanor, that when he wasn't like that, the king not only noticed, but asked him how he was doing. Isn't that an amazing testimony that Nehemiah had? It's so normal for him to be of good cheer, having a good attitude that the one time he doesn't, the king actually notices. Now, I'm sure Nehemiah could have been down on his job, his current situation, and a whole bunch of other things in his life, but every day he came to work with a good attitude and he didn't get hung up majoring on minor issues. Now, are you getting this picture here? Isn't, is there something that, that's maybe resonating with you just from this little example? Man, how could your workplace change if people actually asked you how you were doing only when you were down? They're so used to you bringing life every day into your workplace. But now look what happens. I, I, I replied, long live the king. 
How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? Nehemiah goes from an impossible situation to an incredibly powerful king saying, How can I help you? In just one moment, everything changes. But what I want you to notice here is that it's Nehemiah's reputation that's actually the key that unlocks like a torrential downpour of God's favor. It all came because of this history that Nehemiah had built with the king. He would have been like absolutely astounded, firstly, that the king would ask him how he's doing, and secondly, that this king would ask, how can I help you, bartender? Luke 2 verse 52 says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Now, Nehemiah prayed and asked for favor from God. Great thing to pray. But he'd also been working at building favor with the king. Favor with people. And that's what we see working out here. He'd grown in favor with both God and man, like we read about Jesus, and that's what opened the door to this incredible move of God in his life. Nehemiah was just a bartender who had been faithful in the little things that he could do, that he could manage, and that ends up being a key that unlocks a move of God that literally turns him into a city-building, life-restoring, hope-bringing world-changer. It's in the little things. Are you aligned to what God's wanting to do? Have you positioned yourself for a move of God? So as we close today, I want to ask you, So where are you at in your story right now? You might feel like Nehemiah, dead-end job. You're wondering what God's doing. You're wondering if you're ever going to see a move of God in your life. So here's a spoiler alert for your own story. God's plans will prevail in your life. We already know what happened. We've read the end of Nehemiah. Now, God knows His responsibility. And He'll be faithful to it. But what about us? How are we doing with what God's already been asking us to do? There's no formula for a move of God. But I know from this example of Nehemiah that you see some of these things that, boy, God is looking for. Who can I partner with? Who's ready for a move of God? So today, are you available? Is there room in your life for a move of God? 
Are you attuned? Do you, are you tuned in to the, to the mind and the heart of God? Are His priorities your priorities? And are you aligned? <laughs> the current situation that you're in might not look how you want it. But are you being faithful in the little things that you can do that make room for God to do the things that only He can do? Are you positioned how and where He wants you? Let me pray for you today. So God, I thank you for the example of Nehemiah. I thank you that we get to read the end. We get to read the spoiler alert on the whole story. And God, I'm praying for everyone that's joined us today that, God, you'd, you'd point out areas of our life that maybe we've, we've filled rooms that, that are meant to be open space for you to move. God, I pray that areas where we've allowed our own selfish ideals and ideas to take over, that God, you'd tune us back into what you're saying, your words, your heart, your thoughts. And Father, I pray that maybe where we're struggling in our, our daily life, that God, you, re, you help us realize that it's in these little things that we align ourselves with your plan and your purpose. So Father, would you help us? Would you speak to us? We want to see a move of God in, in our city, in our families, in our uh, communities, in our workplaces, every relationship. God, we want to be people that are ready for a move of God. And we ask that you'd help us the same way that you helped Nehemiah. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.